Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. Week series, taking a look at some of the heroes in the Old Testament. Obviously, we can't... Uh cover many because they're cover a whole lot because there's lots of them, but we are going to look at six. We're going to look at six heroes, and each week is going to be a different hero of the Old Testament for the next six weeks. And then what happens? We get into our Christmas series. Yeah, so that's coming up as well, uh, getting ready for all of that already. And uh, so we're going to look at these heroes, and these are each, uh, they provide us with a glimpse of the work of God in their doubts, their struggles, and their failures. And then God reminds us and reminds them how he remains faithful, a truth that all of us need to embrace, don't we? We all need to embrace that. All my life, you have been faithful. We just sang that. I will sing of the goodness of God. Today, we're going to get a glimpse. I mean, and this is just a tiny glimpse in the life of Jacob and some major turning points in his story. Now, again, we're only going to hit several of these. His story is uh, extensive, but we're just going to look at a couple of the main points. And uh, I think it's interesting when you get into the Old Testament and you start doing kind of a life analysis of some of these people that we that were taught. And, and you know what I want to say is that when I got into looking at the life of Jacob and I'm reading through all of that in Genesis, it, it made me think of this. So if, if the Old Testament is folklore, right? If it's made up, if it's folklore, who sat down and came up with all these details? And how in the world were they passed on from generation to generation? You know, they, who would waste their time coming up with details? They wouldn't. So they can't be made up, I'm telling you. you they just, who would want to do that? That's too many details. And uh, this is just an example of that. Now, 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 there's something I want to share with you as we get into this today. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. We're going to be uh, jumping around in here just a little bit in the book of Genesis today. Genesis chapter 25. Now, as we get into this, I was thinking that when Donna and I got married, neither one of us were walking with the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home, right? By the time I was 15, I uh, walked away from the Lord. And uh, Donna wasn't raised in church or in a Christian home, so she didn't know anything. And then when we got married, we had no God in our life. No, we never even thought about being going to church or anything. I'm, I'm serious. That never even crossed my mind. And uh, we never in a million years thought that we needed God in our life. What's that all about? We never thought. People that, like, don't... Uh, believe in God or think of Christianity or whatever it is, they, they don't think they need God in their life. And we didn't. And uh, it's like, what's that all about? And our life was tough. Let me tell you, it was tough. Our first few years were a real struggle for us in a lot of different ways. I was in school and she and we were having kids and, and we were broke and just all this stuff. It was horrible. And But we didn't need God in our life, did we? What's the deal with that? We thought we could do this. No help needed. This is life. And that's just how it goes. Some of you have been there. Some of you at home, you've been there. 
Maybe you're there now. I don't know. Maybe you don't think you need God in your life now, but I'm glad you're here or I'm glad you're watching because we're going to talk about that. Sometimes, though, you got to learn things the hard way, don't you? you got to learn hard lessons. And we're going to look at the life of Jacob today. So let's go to Genesis chapter 25. Again, we're just looking at some little chunks, okay, because we could be in this for a long time. So go to Gen- uh, yeah, Genesis 25. We're going to start in verse 19. We're going to see how Jacob enters the world to begin with, okay? Verse 19 starts this way. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham's son, get that. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel and Aramean from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, or Laban, however you want to say that, the Aramean. Now, Isaac prayed to the Lord. Take note of that. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. What happens? The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Okay, he's a prayer. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to the inquire of the Lord. Okay? And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh-huh, mom and dad have favorites. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that bread stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. Lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Despise. That, that means that he just didn't really care a whole lot about his birthright. He let it go. Now, this is a great story so far. And uh, obviously, you've, many of you have heard that, but it sets up the whole thing that we're talking about. Um, uh, Cornerstone Bible Commentary explained this. After the deception of the boys and their birth, we have the main event of the narrative, the exchange. After the description of the boys and their birth, we have the main event, the narrative of the narrative, the exchange. And this exchange was all part of God's plan. Remember, Rebecca praying, and God said, hey, this is going to happen. At the beginning, Esau had the birthright, and Jacob had the stew. And in the end, Esau got the stew, and Jacob got the birthright. Getting this? Getting this? Now, see, it's foolish to sacrifice blessings and provision in order to satisfy one's immediate appetite. Literally, here it was an appetite, wasn't it? 
It is a question of priorities. What one wants more than anything, I love this, what one wants more than anything and what one is willing to give up in order to get it. Let me say that again. It's what one uh, wants more than anything and what one is willing to give up in order to get it. That made me think I, I had guitar pedals. I had a whole bunch of guitar pedals. I love like, guitar pedals, if you know what they are. There's some up here on the floor. You hit them with your feet. So I had a bunch of them that I've had over the years. And I, I don't really play much anymore, and I don't use my pedals at all. So even though they were my idol for the longest time, and I was so happy to have what I had, I sold them all so that I could get something else that I wanted more because my hobbies have changed. And so I sold them all so I could get something else that I wanted more. So that's a question of priorities, what one wants more than anything and what one is willing to give up in order to get it. And then don't forget that in the first few verses, we read that, that the parents pray. Both parents sought God for wisdom. And we're told that Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife and Rebecca prayed for her unborn children because they knew that they couldn't do this alone. I know I repeated that or I repeated what we said earlier. They knew they couldn't do this alone. Sometimes this doesn't always get passed on to the children, does it? Sometimes it doesn't always get passed on. There is, a, there is an investment broker uh, who started his own securities firm, investing people's money in stocks and such. I don't know a whole lot about that, but he was getting success, successful, and those guys make money. They make a lot of money, and he was making really good money, and he became very well-known. He was wealthy in the stocks and bonds world. But good money wasn't enough, all right? I'm sure all of us would be totally happy with what he was making, right? But not him. It wasn't enough for him. And instead of investing his client's money, he began stockpiling it in his own bank account. That's called a Ponzi scheme. So he started stockpiling your investment money in his own bank account instead of investing it in stocks to the tune of $17 billion. And this is a true story. He took $17 billion and put it in his bank account because he thought he didn't need to earn the money the legal way, so he thought he'd do it his way. And this greed, this desire to get it, get, uh, to go it alone got him busted. One of his investors wanted to withdraw $7 billion from his account. It's like, hey, I need uh, $7 billion out of my account. But guess what? Bernie Madoff had only $234 million in his account. That's crazy, isn't it? Have you heard of Bernie Madoff? Most of you have. Some of you have. Oh, boy, he was a shyster. Hey, I want $7 billion out of uh, my own money. Oh, I only have $234 million. You see what I mean about being greedy? Esau was driven by his appetite, but Jacob, like Bernie Madoff, was driven by greed, taking advantage of the situation to get something that he longed to have. His older brother's birthright. That birthright is inheritance. All that comes with the firstborn, the older brother, the, gets everything. But Jacob wanted that, and he wanted to do it his way. And you see, lots of situations can drive us to do things without thinking. And taking advantage of a situation sometimes is easy to do, isn't it? Sometimes it's easy to do. What do you want more than anything? And what are you willing to give up to get it? What do you want more than anything? What are you willing to give up to get it? Let me give you just a couple of quick examples. 
Some people give up their spouses because uh, they think someone else is better. Some people get quit really good jobs because they think the next opportunities will give them more, and sometimes it doesn't pan out. Maybe it's a truck payment that costs you half your paycheck <laughs> because you had to have it, and now you live with regret. We've all been there, haven't we? Does this apply to you? Does this apply with something that's going on to something that's going on in your life? Do you ever make decisions like that, big decisions? And you didn't pray about it. You didn't bring it before the Lord. You didn't discuss it with anybody else. You just go it alone. And Jacob is getting started in this whole thing. And we're going to see, but we have a limited time, so we're not going to be able to read it all as we see what happens with Jacob and how it applies to us. So I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis here in a nutshell. Okay, we know that Jacob got his brother's birthright already. Okay, that's the inheritance. And Jacob deceives his father, which is a big part of the story, his father Isaac, by pretending to be Esau. Because you see, not only would Jacob get the inheritance, which is a horizontal transaction, right? The inheritance is property, legal rights, all the stuff, all the housekeepers, you know, all the crops, all of that. So the birthright is the money, and it's horizontal, all of that. But Jacob would also steal his uh, father's blessing from Esau. Remember, Esau was the oldest. Now, the blessing is vertical. It's vertical. It's from him to God. It's like the Abraham's covenant with Yahweh. It goes this way. And he steals it from him in his selfishness. He steals the material and he steals the spiritual. And some of you know that story where he goes in and acts like he's Esau and he dresses up like uh, Jacob dresses up like Esau and goes into his dad and, and steals that blessing. So we, that's just a quick synopsis. Now turn over to chapter 27. Let's see how that ends. Let's go to verse 30. Again, we're, we're kind of jumping through these scriptures. Verse 30, 27. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely, scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. This is Esau. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? He said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. It's this one. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. It was Jacob. Jacob stole the birthright and he stole the blessing. We're getting a picture of who this guy is. He steals the material and the spiritual. And his brother finds out, his dad finds out. And here's what we can understand about Jacob's issues, okay? Relying on one's own powers and resources or doing it your own way other than those of others, relying on your own power and resources other than those of others or trying to do it alone is self-sufficiency. 
That's what we're seeing here. And self-sufficiency is used for selfish gain. Like me and Donna, when we first got married, right? We were self-sufficient. We didn't need God in our life at all. So self-sufficiency then what? Brings this. It brings dishonesty. Self-sufficiency, thinking that you can go through the things of life by yourself or, or not relying on God. Let's put it that way. You don't have God in your life. You, you, you're self-sufficient. You think you can do it on your own. And guess what? Oftentimes, it brings dishonesty. Look at Jacob. This characterizes him so far, doesn't he? He's greedy. He's deceitful. He's dishonest. Why? He's out for himself. And he's not uh, seeking God's will for anything. He's making happen what he wants to make happen. What is it? It's self-sufficiency. I don't need it. Bernie Madoff. I don't need anybody to help me. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah, let me ask you something. Have we seen Jacob pray so far on what we've talked about? No. Have we seen him petition God and ask for God's direction? Hey, Lord, before I go steal my brother's birthright, would you, uh, you, know, would you bless me, Lord? Or before I go steal his blessing, would you, would you guide me in this, Lord? No, none of that, right? Have you observed Jacob waiting on God? Lord, I, I really want the birthright, but I'm going to wait for you. I know, I know, I'm going to wait and for your timing. No, we don't see any of that. It's like, I want the birthright and the blessing, and I'm going to take it. One author said that stealing your brother's birthright is one thing, is bad enough. But to deliberately deceive your own father, who's probably senile, he's incapacitated, is to really stoop to the lowest of the low. That's how bad Jacob is. That's how self-sufficient he is. And it makes me think of Bernie, Bernie Madoff. Do you know it's reported that he began his fraud? It said this. His fraud began among his friends, relatives, and country club acquaintances in Manhattan and on Long Island, a population that shared his professed interest in Jewish philanthropy. But it ultimately grew, his deception, to encompass major charities, universities, institutional investors, and wealthy families in Europe, Latin America, and Asia. And his greed and self-reliance wanted, his greed, his self-reliance, wanted to become very rich and wanted to do it his own way. Man, he deceived everybody. His own family, his own family members, charities. What is this? Here's Jacob taking advantage of his, his dad, who's old. Look at this. Okay. Keep all of that in mind. Chapter 27. Let's keep reading. Let's see what happens. Again, we're jumping around a little bit, but you're going to get these chunks. Okay, so go to uh, chapter 27 again. This is verse 41, and it says this. Esau, of course, held a grudge against Jacob. Because of the blessing his father had given him, he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. He's going to die someday. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was old, the mom was told what her older son Esau had said. She sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Now, what's this all about? He's starting to face the consequences of his dishonesty. First of all, his brother is his enemy now. And he wants to kill him, wants him dead. And then his mom comes up and says, you got to get out of town because your brother wants you dead. And you're going to go live with my uncle. 
or my brother. Mama jumps in, sends him on his way. But Jacob has to face the consequences in his actions. And look at this, self-sufficiency oftentimes leads us to face the consequences of our decisions. Right? Think about the truck payment. <laughs> Think about the things that we do without praying. How about this? How about uh, what we do often is we say, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Hey, Lord, would you bless the plans we just made? We do that all the time, don't we? We must seek God first, because if we don't, we're, self, we're doing it self-sufficiently, if that's the word that I can use. So if you're self-sufficient, oftentimes we must, make sacri- we must uh, face the consequences. Oh, what a wicked web we weave when we... Anybody? Never heard that before? When we practice to deceive. <laughs> that's an old one. You guys didn't know that? Rebecca said it. It's in the Bible. No, it's not, really. Guess what? Eventually, we'll be found out. <laughs> it says don't add a single word, doesn't it? Okay, well, I just added a wife's thing in there, but it's not in there. Eventually, we'll be found out. Self-sufficiency without God in the equation usually leads to manipulation to get your way, which can lead to deception, lies, dishonesty, you name it. But eventually, we will face the consequences. Think about it. Leaving town is not the only consequence Jacob has to face. A little before that, he goes and he lives with his uncle, where his mom sent him. And he's tricked by his uncle. He, like, he sees this beautiful girl, which is his cousin, by the way. And he sees her and he says, hey, I want to marry her. And his uncle says, okay, serve me for seven years and you can have her. So seven years is up and the, and the uncle gives him the other sister. That wasn't quite as pretty as the first sister. So he said, hey, you gave me the wrong Jacob says to his uncle, you gave me the wrong sister to marry. And uh, Laban says, okay, well, here's the, you can work for me seven more years, and you'll get the other one. So he served his uncle for 14 years on top of all the other things that he had going on. That, that was a struggle for him to get the wife that he wants there. And Jacob himself is getting a taste of his own medicine, and things aren't going too well. Things aren't going too well. This time, he couldn't just take what he wanted. He couldn't just take the wife. Couldn't deceive anybody to get her like he did before. So there, there's lots of consequences in, in our actions, like Bernie Madoff. Let's look at him. He confessed to his sons what he had done, what he'd been doing. This was a turning point in the whole situation for him. They turned him in. His sons turned him in. They guess what my dad's been doing? And he was arrested. Want to know some consequences? One of his sons killed himself. He didn't want to go through what he would have to go through. Several of the investors that were built out of millions of dollars killed themselves due to financial ruin. Thousands of people lost everything, totaling $64 billion. He wanted to do it his way. And in 2009... Madoff began serving a 150-year prison sentence. And he dies in prison. He didn't have a dime. didn't have a dime. Number three, self-sufficiency will have a turning point. Must have a turning point. Will have a turning point, for good or for bad. Bernie Madoff's turning point was what? Telling his sons. (laughs) 
getting caught. Jacob had a turning point too, but it's different than Bernie's. In chapter 28, we read that Jacob has a dream and God speaks to him and God tells him, hey, even with all the stuff you've been doing, even think about all the things that he had done, all of his uh, deception and everything. God says, hey, someday in his dream, this land will be yours. I'll watch over you. I will not leave you. It's like, what? What? What are you talking about? This is a clear example of the grace of God giving you what you don't deserve. A clear example. You're a mess up. You're a shyster. You're a manipulator. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You've done terrible stuff you shouldn't have done, and you try to do it without me, but I'm going to use you anyway. I'm going to use you anyway, God says to him in his dream. Jacob makes a vow. He's a changed man. Go to verse 28. Go to chapter 28, verse 20. And Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And that happens. Let me ask you. Do you need a turning point? Is it time for you to change, to turn something around? Do you need to make a vow to God about your life? Turn it around? Are you tired of your circumstances? Have you dug yourself a hole so deep you have no idea how you're going to get out of it? Either in a relationship, in a marriage, at work, with your finances, whatever it happens to be. Whatever it happens to be. God had one more thing in store. Turn to chapter 32, verse 22. See, Jacob's preparing to meet Esau, sleeping. Jacob, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He had sent them across the stream. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Ooh, sounds familiar. Unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. What a, what a great thing to happen after all of his deception. He started his life as a terrible person, didn't he? Tons of events. Like I said, we're just kind of touching the surface of these, but this just gets us started. But God gets a hold of him. God gets a hold of him. And the Cornerstone Commentary put it this way. When God touched Jacob's hip, it shriveled. And with it, listen, Jacob's self-sufficiency. He could no longer take a step without limping. From this point on, he would be reminded that his natural strength had been restricted by the Lord. And that's another turning point for him. A wrestling match with God. God's like, you want control, do you? You want control? Let's fight about it. Bring it. Let's fight about it. 
understand this, though. Jacob had been fighting God for control his whole life, hasn't he? His whole life. And the blessing he begs for, he begs for God, he begs for God to bless him when he's wrestling. His name gets changed Israel, which means God fights. This is, I love this right here. God had to fight him and will now fight for him. Ooh, apply that to yourself. God might be fighting you so that he can fight for you. Jacob's descendants would be known as the people of Israel. And God would fight for them too. I love that. I love that. God had to fight him, but now he will fight for him. Make make your own application to that in your own life. Where are you self-sufficient? So Donna and I, right, we're we're married and uh, we're having struggles. Everything was a struggle. Going to school, we're having kids. We're broke. All this stuff was going on. It was uh, just a real struggle for us. And uh, we didn't need God in our life. We never even thought about it, like I said. And then um, uh, my stepson, Donna's son, my stepson, Brian, he was 12. uh, He he decided he was going to start going to church. And so my dad and my sister and everybody went to a church in Akron. And so Brian thought, I want to go to that church too to be with Grandpa and Aunt Pam and everything. So what's Brian do? Brian calls the church or something like that and has the church bus come and pick him up on Sunday morning. He did all this on his own. He's 12. One time it was like 10 degrees and it had snowed like crazy. And Brian, I was on the couch. Who knows? I've probably been up all night. And I was on the couch half asleep and I saw Brian all bundled up with his gloves and his coat and his scarf and his hat and all of this stuff. And what's he do? He's going to church. It's a Sunday morning. He walks out on the porch and then down the steps out onto the sidewalk in the blowing, horrible 10 degrees weather, waiting for the church bus to pick him up. Shame on me. And the church bus picked him up. That was my turning point. That was my turning point, to see my son wanting to uh, go to church and willing to struggle to do so because his parents weren't going to take him. That day, I said to Donna, we're going to church, and we're going to take our kids to church, and we're going to raise our kids in church. That one instant was our turning point. And here I stand today because he walked out in the snow and the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. And Donna, we didn't need God, right? We could do this on our own. Mm-mm. Everything changed. You see, Jacob and Esau, they make amends. Jacob has sons that kind of start down the same path by selling Joseph, their brother, into slavery. You know, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But he's another hero for another day. And finally, Jacob, after all of this, Jacob makes it into the Hall of Faith in the New Testament in Hebrews. Look what it says. The Hall of Faith. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph, the one that his brother sold into slavery, sons, and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. He makes it to the Hall of Faith. Isn't that awesome? Full of deceit and dishonesty, in it for what he can get out of it, thinking he can make his life what he thinks it should be by going it alone, no need for God, self-sufficient, all of that. 
And he makes it into the hall of faith in the New Testament. Commentary says that the message of the encounter for Jacob and for his descendants, the Israelites, and also for us, is that the blessing of God is the work of God. He wants to fight for us, but he might have to fight us to get us to the point of surrendering our will to him. Self-sufficiency, trying to achieve the blessing by our own strength, listen to this, will not be successful. If we persist in thinking that it will, God might have to cripple our self-sufficiency to get him to trust him more. Conclusion, God is faithful, even when the desire to do it on our own gets in the way. Somebody needs to hear this. Either in this place or at home, somebody needs to hear this. I know it. I just knew that this morning when I was praying and going over this message. Somebody needs to hear this. What are you holding on to? Do you need a turning point in your life? Come on. What does God need to wrestle from your hands? Is he going to need to make you crippled to get it from you? What is it? God wants a relationship with all of us. Maybe for you, your turning point is to finally surrender your life to Jesus and make him your savior. Maybe that's your turning point and it happens today. Maybe it happens today. God wants you. God wants a relationship with you. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. But you've got to let go of your self-sufficiency and, and let God have your life. Don't you bow your head for a minute. Bow your head. What are you holding on to? Do me a favor. Everybody's heads bowed down. Raise your hand up if you need prayer for holding on to stuff or if you need a turning point in your life. Go ahead, raise your hand up. Yeah, lots of hands going up. Absolutely. I'll raise my hand up. A turning point in our life. We need to see the hand of God. We need to trust Him. We need to get rid of our self sufficiency. Dear Father, we just pray this. We lift it up to you, Lord. We need you so much. May we understand our need for you in our life. I think of me and Donna when our life turned around forever. I think of uh, Jacob wrestling with God and the turning points in his life, Lord. That's what you do. Sometimes you've got to shake us and slap us around a little bit to get our attention. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to make it possible for us to have that turning point by having a relationship with him. And if there's anybody in here that's struggling to understand that, Lord, may today be the day that the turning point happens and Jesus becomes their savior. Give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand? We hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging. We just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen. And if you'd like, please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, go online and visit ccubchurch.org. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, We just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.